Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I chose an early episode of Dragnet entitled The Werewolf. In 1948, actor Jack Webb appeared in He Walked by Night, a film noir police procedural directed by Alfred L. Worker. While on set, Webb struck up a friendship with the film's technical advisor, police detective Marty Wynn. Webb was fascinated by Wynn's tales of authentic police cases and believed the public would find these stories compelling, too. He wasn't wrong. Dragnet premiered on NBC Radio June 8, 1949. Although the scripts were based on actual cases, Joe Friday was pure fiction. Webb imbued the Los Angeles police sergeant with a stoic charm, delivering his lines in a clipped, matter-of-fact tone, no matter what the situation. Friday's catchphrase, the facts, ma'am, just the facts, was emblematic of the program's mission to present the unvarnished truth of police work, at least as Jack Webb saw it. Dragnet's low-key documentary style, obsessively naturalistic pacing, and understated performances made the program unlike anything else on radio. After a few rocky episodes, Dragnet found its rhythm and quickly became the benchmark by which all other police shows were judged. Over the course of the program, Friday had many police partners, but his first was Ben Romero, played by Barton Yarborough. OTR fans will recognize Yarborough as the voice of Doc Long in I Love a Mystery, as well as Clifford Barber in Carlton E. Morse's long-running soap opera, One Man's Family. Yarborough died of a heart attack in 1951 at the age of 51. Jack Webb chose to incorporate the loss of his friend and co-star into an episode aired eight days later. The Big Sorrow was dedicated to Yarborough and centers around the unexpected death of Yarborough's character, Ben Romero. In typical Joe Friday fashion, he deals with his grief by doing his job and not talking much. The episode also introduced Friday's new partner, Ed Jacobs, played by Barney Phillips. In 1952, Dragnet made the transition to television, a move that only increased the show's popularity. By the mid-1950s, Dragnet was watched by 50% of American households and held a top 10 rating spot through 1956. The television version ran concurrently with the radio program for nearly four years. In 1957, Dragnet left the radio, but the TV series continued until 1959, returning for another three-year run in 1967. Now, let's listen to episode three of Dragnet, The Werewolf, first broadcast June 17, 1949. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. Dragnet. 
You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. There's a potential killer on the loose in your city. Eighteen women have been beaten and robbed by this man. The newspapers call him the werewolf. Your job is to get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case, from beginning to end, from crime to punishment. Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. Thursday morning, February 2nd. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the early morning watch out of robbery detail. Detectives in Los Angeles work in pairs. My partner's Ben Romero. He's a sergeant and so am I. My name's Friday. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. I was on the way back from the teletype room and it was 3 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery detail. Hi, Ben. What's up? Keep your coat on, Joe. Just had a hot shot call. Coming, Skipper? Right behind you. Let's go, Freddy. Well, what was it, Ed? Another woman robbed, almost beaten to death. Uh, well, how many does that make? About 18 in six weeks. Is that right, Skipper? Yeah, 18 too many. Come on down these stairs to the garage. Yeah. What about that suspect we had, Ed? You mean Martin? Yeah. Had to release him this morning. But I got a good tail on him, Henderson. Yeah. We got any reports yet? Nothing definite to hold him for. Here's the garage. Let's hustle it. Right. Then if this isn't Martin's job, Skipper, and he's not the right man... Then we start all over again, and we work night and day till we find the right man. Here's the car. Let's go. Ben, you drive. Yeah, all right. How do the victims describe this guy, Ed? Pretty sketchy. Supposed to be tall, dark, long black hair. Last woman said he had a face like an animal, something like a dog or a wolf. A wolf? Yeah. She said something like a wolf. Something like a werewolf. Well, he almost had to be that, judging from the way he operated. He was either an animal or a raving maniac. One thing we were sure of, he was smart and he was dangerous. For almost two months, he'd prowled the streets in a stolen car in the early morning, usually between 3 and 5 a.m. And the victims were always lone women, most of them waitresses, coming to work or going home. He dragged them into the car, robbed them, beat them until they were unconscious, and then throw the body out into the street. That's just what we found when we pulled up to the curb near the corner of 8th and Grand. One cruiser car was already there, and so was the ambulance. About a dozen people were standing around looking at the crumpled figure of a woman sprawled out on the sidewalk. Two officers were talking to the only witness, a thin, sallow-faced newsboy. His story didn't give us much to go on. Like I was telling these cops, sir, or these officers, sir... I was walking up 8th Street on my way home as usual when I see this blue Chevy sedan pull up down a block there a little way and dump out the dame's body. Well, actually, I, I don't know what to think. Did you get a look at the license plate? Well, well, no, I didn't. Tell you the truth, I could hardly keep from... Well, I was just plain scared. Mm. Well, what did you do after you saw him throw the body out, son? Well, I just stood there for a minute and well, the fellow in the car drove right on past me. Did you get a look at him? Yeah, I sure did. How close were you when he drove past? Well, now... Couldn't have been more than, well, eight or ten feet away. 
I was right over there by the street light near the curb. Would you know this man if you saw him again? I don't know about his height or his build or his weight, but, mister, his face I'll never forget. Why do you say that? It was just like the paper says about him. Right, right here on the front page. Here, read it. See? Woman says attacker looked like werewolf. That's all the newsboy could tell us. The suspect drove a blue sedan. He had a face like a werewolf. We covered the neighborhood for clues, and we questioned a dozen people, but we got nowhere. We took the witness's name and address, and, and we drove down a couple of blocks to an all-night gas station. 14 hour, I'll I'm going in here and call the office and see if Henderson's called in on Martin. We might still have a suspect. Right, Skipper. Mm. Looks as mad as a wet hornet, doesn't he, Joe? Yeah. Did you get a good look at that woman's face when they moved her in the ambulance? Yeah. Sure does like to mess him up. Oh, I don't know how we're going to get him, Ben, but we better do it fast. Next time, it'll probably be murder. Oh, here comes the Skipper, Joe. Uh-oh. Doesn't look good. What is it, Ed? <clears throat> Just talk to Henderson. He tailed Martin to a bar in Long Beach. He hasn't been out of his sight for two minutes since yesterday. Martin's clear. And we're right back where we started. Yeah, with one more half-dead woman in the hospital. Well, how about that stolen car, Skip? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Get that radio up. Code 3, ambulance dispatched. Attention, all units, on Grand Avenue between Venice and Washington. A woman, victim of robbery and attack. Code 3, ambulance to task. Code 3, red light and siren. Come on, Friday, let's roll. We couldn't be sure, but it sounded like another one. Six minutes later, we were there. Same story. Werewolf. The next day, the chief ordered the number of cruiser cars doubled in the central district. This was for the early morning watch with plainclothesmen to back them up. Then the newspapers played it vague, and in two days, the story was on the front page of every paper in town. Maybe that should have made the werewolf lay low, but it didn't. Because at 4 o'clock that morning, while Ben and I were patrolling with the other cars, he got his 20th victim. Attention, all units. Whittier between Soto and Matthews. A woman, victim of 211, an attack. Code 3. Ambulance dispatched. Here's a report on that blue sedan he used the other night, Joe. Found it out on Anaheim Telegraph Road. Any luck with it? Not one fingerprint we can use. Anything else? Nothing. Well, how about the auto theft detail? Same old story, Joe. He steals a car, uses it once, and then drops it. Never leaves a thing behind. Well, that's great. We're sure moving fast. How about that big guy you picked out of the lineup this morning? Oh, I checked. His alibi's perfect. Hmm. Now we haven't got even half a clue. Yeah. Well, come on. Let's check with Ed. He's instructing the police women on a plan for tonight. All right. Now you've heard the reports. You understand how the suspect operates and what you're to do. Yes, so. Remember, all of you forget you were ever policewomen. Change the way you walk, the way you carry yourselves. That's the part you're playing, all right? Okay. And be careful and don't take any chances. All right, Freddy. Okay, Ed. Now, just to make sure you look the part, we're spotting each one of you at different restaurants and coffee shops throughout the Central District. And from 7 o'clock tonight until daylight tomorrow, each one of you is going to be a waitress. You got that? Yeah. Okay, Ben, you want to give them their assignments? Okay, Joe. Well, here's the way it lines up. Marge Kissel at the Top Hat Cafe. That's on 9th Street between Alvarado and Westlake. Okay. And Katie Wells, Joe's Coffee House, Brooklyn Soto. Right. 
Pat Fielding at the all-night steakhouse on Figueroa Street between Florence and... No, the trick of using decoys to lure criminals into a trap wasn't exactly new, but, well, it was just one of the old tricks that we figured might land the werewolf behind bars. At seven that night, Ben and I made the rounds and found each of the policewomen on her job as a waitress. Well, the overall plan was simple. The girls were to leave the different restaurants between 3 and 5 a.m. that morning and pretend they were walking home. We mapped different courses for each one of them to throw out as much bait as possible and yet not to make it look suspicious. Each policewoman, from the time she left the restaurant and stepped out into the deserted streets, would be pretty much on her own. We had officers planted all along the way at designated intervals, but a big element of chance and danger was still there. All we could do was cross our fingers and hope. How much more time, Joe? Let me see. She's doing two minutes. Yeah. Waiting gets on your nerves. And it won't be long. This corner doorway's a pretty good lookout, boy. Yeah. Wait a minute. Listen. Who is it, Joe? Can you see? Get back. What is it? Wait a minute. It's Marge Kissel. There's a man following her. A big guy. If it's the werewolf, where's his car? I don't know. Maybe he changed his plans. Get back. Here they come. You to look at him, Joe? Oh, pretty good. Not too suspicious. Might be coincidence. Well, I got a pretty good lead. Come on, let's go. Stay back in the shadows. Hey, Joe. Hmm? So where'd the guy go to? I lost him. The little coffee shop up on the next corner. See? Take a look. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's opening the door. He's turning on the lights. Yeah. Looks like a false alarm, Joe. Well, let's check him anyway. Well, I didn't think we'd be that lucky on the first try, and we weren't. We asked the man a few questions, and it didn't take him long to show us he wasn't our man. He owned the coffee shop. So, Ben and I went back and took up our posts again and waited for the next decoy. We covered that ten-block course six times that morning, back and forth, following the bait, but it was almost as if the guy could sense a trap. Not once did we get a nibble. By the time our last decoy finished the route, it was almost daylight. Joe, I never was so glad to see that sun come up in my whole life. My feet feel like they're puffing right up out of my shoes. Yeah, me too. Come on, let's get over to the car and check on the other squad out in Boyle Heights. Huh? Mm-hmm. Hit the radio, will you, Ben? Yeah. Joe, there must be some easier job on the force than this. Yeah, you and me both. Now, let's see what happened to the others, huh? 80K to Unit 104K, come in. 104K to Unit 80K, go ahead. 104K, this is Friday. You do any good out there? This is Miller. I'll call Curtis. Stand by. 80K to 104K, Roger. What do you think, Joe? Maybe a buy? I don't know. Oh, this guy seems to work like a mind reader. Well, he can't win all of them. 104K to Unit 80K. This is Curtis, go ahead. This is Friday, Al. How'd you do out there? Any luck? Just checked in the last gal, Joe. Andy Welch, not a sign. Okay, Al. Have the men check in. 80K clear. KGPL. Okay, let's go, Ben. When we finally got back to the office that morning, both Ben and I were ready for some sleep, but it didn't look like we were going to get it. We just about finished going through the overnight reports for some kind of a lead when the phone rang. Robbery Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Wilkerson, Auto Theft. Hi, Wilkie. You got something for us? Not much, Joe, but it might work into something. Just got a report in on a pair of stolen license plates. Oh? Yeah. I'm not much of a hawkshaw, but I figure there's just a chance it might be your werewolf boy. How come? I don't know. Maybe just a hunch. 
After 13 years in this business, you get to know thieves pretty well. Sometimes you got to even think like them. Okay, rookie, thanks. We'll check by in a couple of minutes. Right, Joe. What do you have to say? A pair of license plates stolen last night. Wilkie's got a hunch it could have been our man. Well, might be an angle, Joe. If that werewolf guy'd hang on to one car long enough, we'd have a chance at him. Well, he's too smart for that. I don't know, Joe. Sooner or later, he's going to make a mistake. Yeah. Come on, let's check with Wilkie. Well, we checked with Wilkerson. We got the best piece of news we'd had in days. On the average, 95% of stolen cars are recovered or located within 24 hours. In the remaining 5%, Wilkerson, by a simple process of elimination, narrowed down the number of cars the suspect might be driving. Wilkie figured six cars. There they are. Now, I'll bet you if you picked up your man tonight, he'd be in one of these cars. Let me see, huh? Two-door black sedan, yellow convertible, another sedan, green, blue coupe, black coupe, and a gray convertible. Well, that's good work, Wilkie. At least we got something to look for now. Yeah, you're right, Joe. Uh, Wilkie, you got the numbers of those stolen plates you're talking about? Yeah, right here, Ben. They're already on the hot sheet. Good. Keep us posted, huh? As usual, Ben. See you later, Wilson. That's a good break, Ben. Something to keep us busy tonight. Tonight? What do you mean? We're setting another trap. Same thing as last night. Same police women, same everything. Well, only this time, let's hope he steps into it. You know, Joe, this werewolf character is getting me mad. That night, we followed in our own footsteps. We planted the policewomen decoys in three separate districts, and a few minutes before 3 a.m., our squad of men took up their positions. The same policewomen went to their waitress jobs in the same restaurants, and Ben and I and the rest of the men stood in darkened doorways or empty filling stations or whatever cover we could find. And we waited and waited. What time is it, Joe? Let me look. Half past four. Thank you. Any sign, Joe? No, nothing yet. Come on, stay in the shadows. That's the way it went all through the early morning. The same plan over and over again until daylight. Ben and I had check in at the station, go over the late stolen car reports with Wilkie, catch a few hours sleep at home, and then come back and do it all over again. The next night, and the next morning, and the night after that, and the morning after that. Five days later, Ben and I were ready to call it quits. I'll admit it, Joe, I can't figure it. guy's either psychic or else he can smell a cop a mile away. Yeah, well, at least we got that stolen car angle left. Did you check with Wilkie yet this morning? I'll give him a call now. All right. Auto theft, Wilkerson. This is Ben, Wilkie. Got anything for us this morning? Yeah, I was just going to call you. You fellas ought to let me solve your cases for you. Why? What'd you get? Boys picked up three of those six stolen cars since late yesterday. Great. Now, what does that leave us with? Well, here are the three still missing. Yeah. Four X-ray 763. Yeah. Five six young 342. Uh-huh. Six one Robert 385. Yeah. Got those? Yeah, thank you, Wilkie. Uh, check you later. Good news? Remember those six missing cars? Yeah. Wilkie says the boys found three of them since late yesterday. Here's what's still out. The blue coupe, the yellow convertible, and the gray convertible. Yeah. Well, this feels like the right track for a change, Ben. Righty. Romero, got a minute? Sure thing, Skipper. Come on, Joe. What do you got, Ed? A woman out in Hollywood just called in with this. She said she walked down to the corner from her house last night to mail the letter. On the way back, a guy pulled up in the car and tried to drag her inside. Any description? Big, heavy, set, dark. Same thing. Well, how'd you get away from him, Skipper? 
She said she started running as soon as he made a motion toward her. When he saw her run up the steps of her house, he jumped back in the car and took off. Well, how come she didn't call in before this? She hasn't got a phone. She's afraid to leave the house again until this morning. Sounds good, Chief. You got her address there? Yeah, yeah. Mrs. Tom Burdick, 1237 Wilcox, apartment 10. Come on, Ben. This might be what we're looking for. <laughs> Sergeant Friday, ma'am. Police. Oh, just a moment. I'm Sergeant Romero, Miss Birding. This is my partner, Sergeant Friday. We come out to check on your call about that little trouble last night. Oh, well, I don't know if I'm going to be much help to you. I was so frightened about all I could do was just run. Well, could you add anything to the man's description, Miss Birding? I mean, other than what you told the chief on the phone? Well, no. Honestly, I don't think I can. All I saw was this tall, dark man jumping out of his car and starting for me. He had a heavy build and seemed to me, well, a large head with lots of long black hair. Uh-huh. Uh, Miss Burdick, uh, would you recognize this man if you ever saw him again? Well, I think I might. He was such an unusually big man, almost frightened me to death. Well, just one more question, Miss Burdick. Could you describe the car this man was driving when he approached you? His car? Mm-hmm. Why, yes, it was a gray convertible. Miss Burdick, are you sure of that? Yes, I'm sure of it. A gray convertible. Thank you, Miss Burdick. That's all we wanted to know. Sometimes when you're on a case, you can chase yourself around in circles for weeks trying to fit together just two little pieces of a yard-long jigsaw puzzle. And a lot of the time, you find the answer where you least expect it. But once you get that feeling you're after the right man in the right way, there's nothing that can shake you. When Ben and I got back to headquarters, we went straight to the chief's office with the story, and we had him stake out the gray convertible. In other words, if any detective or officer spotted the car, he reported it back to us, but he stayed away from it. We figured that there probably weren't more than two of the victims who could take the witness stand and identify the man who robbed and beat them. Not with a smart defense lawyer, anyway. So there was only one way to catch this suspect... Red-handed. Here they are, Joe. Both sets of license numbers for that gray convertible. Here are the original, and here are the numbers on the stolen plate. Good. Everybody got a hot sheet? From the chief all the way down to the janitor. Fine. Now let's get together with Ed, huh? Hot shot, Joe. Grab it. I got it. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly beaten. On the corner of California and Oakwood, a woman badly... Come on, Ben. Another one. But, Joe, it's broad daylight. Yeah, doesn't figure, does it? Come on. That vacant lot over, Joe. Two plainclothesmen and uniformed officers were keeping the crowd back. An ambulance was drawn up by the curb, but it was empty. When we got down to the rear of the lot, we found out why. They were waiting for the coroner. The woman was young, not much more than 30... Her body was half sprawled across the muddy ground and her face was turned upward. It had been badly beaten. You figured it happened last night, Sergeant. Have the fingerprint men been notified? Yeah. How about the crime lab? Just called them. That's good. Now let's keep everybody out of the area till they get here. Right, Sergeant. Uh, Who found the body? One of the kids in the neighborhood. Owen was dead when he found her. Did she live around here? About a half mile away. I hear she's got three kids. Or she had three kids. You've seen enough, Ben? Yeah. Let's get on back to headquarters. 
All the way back to headquarters, Ben and I planned our next move. And by the time we got to Ed Backstrand's office, we knew exactly what had to be done. When we told him about the werewolf murder, he didn't say a thing for a minute. He just stared across the room at the calendar on the wall. Then he brought his hand down hard against the desk. Friday, Romero, I'm only going to say this once, so get it straight. That guy's pulled his last job in this city. He's through robbing and beating women, and he's through with murder. I've given you time to track him down, and now I want him in. No stalls and no excuses. I want him. I don't care how many men you use, and I don't care how you get him, but get him. That's all. Ben and I worked all that afternoon, right through dinner, up until 8 o'clock. By that time, the overall plan was down on paper and already in action. It was one of the biggest things we'd ever tackled, and, well, we didn't know if it was going to work. We only knew it had to work. We had a squad of 65 cars to stretch out over 40 square miles of the city in one big dragnet. The blockade itself would be stationary most of the time, and working inside it would be two cars, 14 policewomen as decoys, with two plainclothesmen assigned to watch each policewoman. If and when the werewolf was sighted in the gray convertible, we'd automatically take over the police radio for the whole city, and Backstrand would direct the chase from headquarters. A little after eight, we had coffee and hamburgers, and we went to Ben's for a few hours. Ben tucked his kid in bed as usual, and then he laid down for a nap. I talked to his wife until I dozed off in the chair. At 11.30, she woke us up. I combed my hair and put on my coat. Cops' wives are like everybody else's. They worry. When we met Ed at headquarters, we did some last-minute checking on details with Backstrand for about a half an hour, and then we were all ready to go. By five minutes past two, half the dragnet crew pulled out of the police garage and scattered over the city to their places. By 2.35, the other half pulled out, and a few minutes later, Ben and I followed. At three minutes to three that morning, Backstrand took over communications and checked every car in the operation. It was a good start. Every man in his right place by the right time. The trap was set. All we needed now was to find our suspect, the werewolf, inside. Control 4 to Unit 80K. Control 4 to Unit 80K. 80K to Control 4. Go ahead. This is Backstrand standing by. 80K. Roger. Clear. KGPL. Okay, Ben. Now let's go find him. I got a hunch, Joe. Let's try the Wilshire district first. Sounds all right to me. Let's go. First hour and a half, we raked the Wilshire district back and forth. Not a sign. Then about 38 minutes past four, we headed back for the downtown area and parked in an alley where we could double-check on one of our policewomen decoys. Here comes one of the girls now, Joe. Pat Field. Bet her feet are almost as tarred as mine. Yeah. You see anything else, Ben? Nothing. Quiet as a church. No. No, no, wait a minute. Hmm? Car just turned the corner. Heading up in the same direction she is. Joe. Hmm? Joe, it's slowing down. Wait a minute. It's pulling up beside her. It's a gray convertible. It's him, Joe. Come on. Ben, get out. He sees us. He's got a gun. You all right, Ben? Yeah, look at that guy take off. 80K to control four. 80K to control four. We've spotted the suspect. He's driving a gray Ford convertible. License 61 Robert 385. 
Suspects headed east on Olympic from Alameda, driving without lights. Suspect is armed. He had a fast car and he knew how to drive it. We almost lost him twice. Two minutes after we sighted him, Backstrand took over full radio control. Control 4 to Unit 80K, your location? 80K to Control 4. We're traveling at a high rate of speed, headed east on Olympic, crossing Soto Street. Control 4 to all units, stand by. Units 11A, 12, and 13R close in on the intersections at Olympic and Lorena. Units 41, 42, 45, and 104K move on on the next four crossings east of that. To the north and south, units 105K, 14A, 17R, 43T. Lock all main arteries. In the next half hour, the 65 cars in the dragnet had pulled in like a noose around a five-mile area. Ben and I hoped it was just a matter of time. Unit 80K to Control 4. Control 4 to 80K, go ahead. He's headed north on Fresno Street, crossing Whittier Boulevard. Attention all units. 80K now pursuing suspect north on Fresno from Whittier Boulevard. Units 15, 105K, 11R, and 18A block off the intersection on Fresno and 4. Hey, Ben, up there ahead. What's he trying to do now? Look, he's turning around. Yeah. Yeah, and he's coming right for us. Watch it, Joe. Look out! Pretty close. 80K to control 4. Control 4 80K, go ahead. Exchanging shots with suspect. Watch it, Ben. Here he comes again. to use that gun, doesn't he? Sure does. Hey, Joe, look. Now look, he's turning east. He's running for Hollenbeck Park. Yeah, 80K to Control 4. Control 4, go ahead. Suspect just drove up over curb and into Hollenbeck Park. does look like a werewolf. Yeah. You got your handcuffs? Yeah. Okay. Got a cigarette? I've been out for an hour. Middle place across the street. Maybe we can get somewhere. Okay. There's the crew from the 41R. Hey, fellas, take him into robbery, will you? Okay, Friday. I think there's a vending machine in there. Uh-huh. Say, uh, you got some change for the cigarette machine, mister? I think so. Say, uh, who's that guy all them cops were after over in the park a little while ago? I picked up the werewolf. Been reading the papers? Yeah. You fellas cops? Yeah. <laughs> sure made it easy for you, didn't he? All you cops had to do was surround the little fella in the park. Nothing to it, huh? Yeah, that's right, mister. Nothing to it. The story you have just heard was true. 
Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Barton, known as the werewolf, was tried and convicted and is now serving a full life sentence at the state penitentiary. This has been Dragnet, the third in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of C.B. Horrell, Chief of Police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Sergeant Mario Victor Dairo of the Los Angeles Police Department, who on the morning of January 1st, 1943, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was The Werewolf from Dragnet here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was my selection for the podcast this week. And this is all based on the idea that a friend of the podcast, uh, Amy, uh, who also is uh, does uh, 12 Times It's Midnight, another great uh, radio podcast that's out there and you should listen to that but it, a long time ago she recommended dragnet to us and my response to that was nah <laughs> yeah we nah. have a recording of you saying basically nah. that <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any interest and i realize uh well then what happened is I, I came across it again i don't know a few months ago and i started listening to him and and i just became infatuated like this is this is so good why the switch and why was I so reluctant? And I figured it out. It's because the television shows that I grew up with watching in rerun format do not come even close to matching the magic and the beauty of what these radio shows are doing. I think that the television shows are held fondly in people's memories and did very well because they love the radio show so much. The, the television shows came across as a lot more hokey. It just didn't translate as well. And we'll delve in all the details of things that I love so much about the show. But I realized that it was my exposure to the television show first made me biased that I thought, ah, who wants to listen to that on radio? And so that was the reluctance. And that's why I went kicking and screaming into, <laughs> into listening to these. <laughs> and then when I realized down the rabbit hole of research and learning about the, the process of the show, the care, effort, thought, uh, hard work, everything that went into producing the show, plus the experiment that had to be sold. You know, I mean, this had to be sold to a lot of people and the belief Jack Webb had in it. And it's so different than everything else. It is meticulously done. This isn't Carlton E. Morris ripping out scripts and doing these things in one take. I mean, these are painstaking efforts, uh, and the results are from a lot of hard work because these are difficult to pull off. And I think it just really does a, a magnificent job of not only telling crime stories that are true, 
but I think it does a magnificent job of creating suspense for a lot of reasons. Uh, so there, I just wanted to say all that. Well, Tim, tell them stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I will actually start saying my opinion because I have an opinion. I really, really enjoyed this um, for a lot of reasons. And it is, there, I mean, there's so many different interesting things to talk about. Um, one of the first being how fascinating it is to hear a really, really, really early version of this show that is still a little proto... Proto-Dragnet. Proto-Dragnet, thank you. Yes. Like, the way they use music is... Like, that's not the way Dragnet uses music. That's the way, like, a normal sort of cops and robbers show uses music. People talk a lot in when you read about the show that it took it a while to find its feet. And when I listen to this, and this is the third episode ever, I was really expecting it to be... <laughs> Wow, that really, really evolved. That those early shows. I mean, if you listen to the first few podcasts of this, I don't know who those people are, <laughs> and, and what we're trying to do. It's not that far from where it ended up. The character Joe Friday's not that far. The concept's not that far. It isn't like that first episode of suspense for, you know. <laughs> I'll put in there that uh, these are stylistic things that I think they added as they went, but as far as being an incredibly outstanding piece of radio drama on their third episode. It's just jaw-dropping. That's where I was. Like, this is their third episode. Wow, it's really well-produced. It's well-produced, but I would argue that the show is impressive because it in episode three, it knows exactly what it wants to be, but I would also argue it really hasn't figured out how to do it yet in episode three because I feel like... There's a lot to like about this episode, um, and there are a lot of recognizable dragnet qualities that are there from the get-go, but it's also missing some things that I love about dragnet. There are no extended scenes involving like the questioning of witnesses who stray off on some other topic and need to be redirected by Friday. Uh, there are no mundane character moments between Cho and Ben outside that really small but really, really well done description at the end of Friday going over to the Romero's house, talking with his wife and nodding off in their chair. That's a nice moment. But in, yes. later in Dragnet, they will let the script breathe and you'll hear conversations. I think they're just afraid to at this point to move too far away from the conventional pacing. And I think this episode if it suffers from anything is the fact that they are successfully recreating the monotony of police work without any of later dragnets, unexpected details and detours and character moments. So I think it drags a little because of that, because they are literally saying, let's go out every night and do the same thing over and over again and not catch this guy, which is how police work really is. Right. Um, so in comparison, it's not fair, I'm comparing to later Dragnet, it feels a little flat. And I would argue somewhat, not much, I'm with you on that, because to me it is it is that mundane police work and that day in, day out and this going on and the lack of sleep and the no idea how they're going to catch this guy and all of those things that he wanted to capture and paperwork and all of this. And then it explodes. Like there is a four minute scene of catching the guy. Like, ah, he's over here. He's coming at me shooting. It's an amazing ending of excitement that 
comes really hard and fast that sounds like a microphone is just being held instead of a written script. That's what I love about it. The beginnings of that mundane, typical, real-life, documentary-style kind of thing that had this really phenomenal ending, I thought. I thought it was really fun. Well, there's also the constant updates on Romero's feet. How's his feet doing? Yep. <laughs> For me, the re- the repetition and the repeated failures uh, really paid off as... In the, I mean, that very, very last thing, that little button on the end, uh, really showed, like, that was the point. That was what this story is, is the incredible amount of effort, failure, and overblown resources. We, like, we're going to put all this in to catch this guy. And this werewolf character is, I mean, as I was listening, I was thinking, this reminds me of Son of Sam, of how terrifying, how random, and how... The longer it goes before they catch him, he's just going faster and faster, getting worse and worse. It worked really well for me. I will say that when I picked it, not to bring to the pocket, picked it to listen to, I was very disappointed at the end that it was not a werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) I laughed when you sent this. I went, yep. Of course, he sent the the one called Werewolf. (laughs) Well, but I wasn't going to send it unless it worked, you know? And I listened to about 15 episodes of Dragnet, and I'm like, that might work. I almost sent The Big Sorrow. There's a lot to discuss in that, and I almost sent that one. But I chose this one off the list because of the title. But when it was done, I decided to send it for all the reasons we're discussing so far. And it's about that evolution of the show and where it was then and where it ended up and just how daring this show was <laughs> to, at this point to try to do that. Well, the opening, they, they really sell it. That This is the story of people who protect your lives. I mean, this is very much the yay police sort of propaganda that goes on in media, but that is what they sell this show of. Like, these are people that your lives depend on them and what they do. Right. And it's bookend by the rather uncomfortable coda with the shopkeeper who, um, from the show's point of view, presents the public's ignorant view of police work. Right. When he's like, hey, maybe you used excessive force. And they're like just (laughs) rolling their eyes. You don't get it. He's an animal. Got long hair. It's easy to read Dragnet totally through the propaganda lens. uh, You know, a a terrible criminal uh, beating 20 women and robbing them. uh, But there is an agenda to dehumanize criminals very much literalized by making him uh, like an animal in this one. Uh, But I mean, again, it is really well done, and I have no problem enjoying propaganda in its historical and ideological right. context. Um, and my complaints about the script are literally just because I love the other stuff they do later yep. on so much. It's not really a fair critique of it, and the production is flawless. Like, it's so full and so rich. I read somewhere that they would do things like, oh, uh, so-and-so in the script walks down the hall, that they would stop and go, how many steps is it? How far down the hall is that? So that the Foley would walk exact amount of steps so that they would have the department actually mapped out and drawn out in their heads or on paper so that, okay, Joe's going from here to there. That means it's 25 steps. And so that every episode, if he's leaving this coffee room and going to the chief's office, it will always be that many steps because it will create this... 
this consistent reality. The consistency yeah. of that reality for our listeners. And that's how meticulous the show was. In addition, that ending, there's about 8 billion sound effects going on at the same time. <laughs> and it's amazing. And that's the other thing that they did is that they would have these scenes where someone was just scraping up uh, evidence. But if you listen, you would hear background talk of other cops in the room. You'd hear birds chirping outside. You'd hear, like, they just took the time to make it so full. And so production value-wise. The other reason that I sent this to you guys is because there is an actual dragnet. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which I don't think ever occurred in any other dragnet ever again. And you'd think that every show would just have a bunch of cops walking arm in arm across the city. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way to capture the shadow. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right. In a dark room. Everybody can link arms, walk across the room. What episode is that? I can't even remember. It's probably multiple ones. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I also thought it was interesting to depict police women in an early radio episode you don't hear that often at all because they actually did exist <laughs> yep they had a tough go but in, in this episode mm-hmm. it was one of the tiny little moments that i uh, will jump out of me like oh that's hilarious of like all right we're gonna put you out there you're gonna work a waitress shift all night long and then you're gonna walk alone at night and hey be safe don't take any chances <laughs> like, <laughs> it's bad enough that they've got to be you know on duty and and bait but they actually had to work a waitress shift on top of it. <laughs> and what did it go on? Months? Like, it was something like that? And they got in some actors whose only role was to just quietly say yes after they received each of their waitressing instructions. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that's that detail that Dragnet loves to do. Another reason that I wanted to go early, it's so hard to select a Dragnet when you love them all, and they're all so good. The reason I wanted to go early is my love of Barton Yarborough. You know, everybody who listens to this podcast, you know my love of I Love a Mystery, particularly Doc. I think he steals the show in that series. He's such a wonderful actor to listen to. He's so engaging. I love how he performs. I'm not laughing at your heartfelt feelings. I'm only laughing because I wondered if you saw one of the comments directly below the YouTube link you sent us to. No, listen I to saw this. that comment. <laughs> no, the one that said like, "How come Huckleberry Hound is in this?" How do you get a job in the LAPD? I also think it's really interesting that Joe Friday lives at home with his mom, and Ben Romero is written as not only a family man with kids for that that dichotomy between the two and their two different lives, but also that it's not brought up very much, if at all, but he's supposed to be Mexican-American, uh, Ben Romero. I had thought I heard his name was Ramirez. Originally? When I was listening to the episode, I thought they had said his name was Ramirez. I, I didn't catch that. All I know is that that was the intent these partners well, come from it's completely LA. Di- yeah. yeah. But that they're so different backgrounds that they could work together it was very important. But it makes for really interesting moments like Joe and this one falling asleep at their house in a chair. And Yeah. I wish that had been a scene. Yeah. There's one, and I can't remember the name of the episode. It might have been The Big Sorrow. I don't know. But there's a f- six minute scene of his, him coming home and his mom just making him a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> 
until Friday getting a sandwich from his mom. And it's Thanks, beautiful. Mama Friday. It, it's wonderful. In listening to this, do we get a lot of uh, radio time with uh, their boss, or is that unusual in this episode? Because he was fascinating. I don't know if it was in this episode, but I know for a while the chief was played by Raymond Burr. But yeah, I haven't listened great. to them in order, but th- there seems to be a larger role in the earlier ones for their chief. Because yeah, there was the the interesting moment where they're like, ah, I'm just tired of losing to this guy. Do what you got to do. Yep. I don't care how many women we send out there. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any way to make them look more vulnerable? (laughs) Make him carry the sign, hey, werewolf. I love that (laughs) moment, too. You should have seen the guy. Look like just like the papers. Look like a werewolf. Bum, bum, bum. You know, I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's send this to a vote. Uh, Let's start with Joshua. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Again, it has a lot of historical significance if you're a Dragnet fan in that these early episodes of Dragnet are just fascinating to listen to, particularly in some kind of rough order, just to hear how Webb and the writers figure out the formula script by script until finally it's something you recognize as quintessentially dragnet. I think it definitely stands the test of time. Uh, Obviously, a slightly different attitude toward policing, but as a piece of art, it stands the test of time. Um, For me, the fact that it's missing several of the things I just love about dragnet once it's just firmly firing on all cylinders, um, those oddball witnesses and, uh, like I said, the mundane, charming little character moments, I, I miss those. But it's interesting to see them get the courage to do that because the pacing in this one is still, I think Tim said it earlier about the music, is more conventional, more like a conventional crime drama pacing. I love it when they get secure enough, like, we're going to let that phone ring eight times. We're going (laughs) to hear them walk all the way to the phone, and then we're going to listen to them go, "Uh uh-huh. Uh huh. For another two minutes, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's not a fair criticism of this episode. So, uh, not a dragnet classic, but a great episode that I thoroughly enjoyed. Tim, this absolutely stands the test of time. We have frequently said in the past that a lot of times we will put the moniker of classic on outlier episodes. Uh, that I think Josh was right. This kind of works in reverse. Of I won't call it a classic because it is not classic dragnet. I just love hearing this strange anomaly version of Dragnet, this other version. Um, It is clearly recognizable as Dragnet uh, and has all the great things production-wise there and performance-wise. It's just the story is a little bit different and interesting. So I really enjoyed it, but wouldn't call it a classic just because of the things Joshua said. I ruined it for you. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with everything you're all saying. I, I brought it to the table because... It is of historical significance. That was really 90% of my motivation in bringing this particular episode. It's wonderful to listen to because of the acorns that are planted of what it's going to become. And you can see the beginnings of where it's going. Also, you can see in this episode the things that it already is in a mere three episodes. And those things are an incredible detail and dedication to production value, which is amazing. It's not a classic, not by any standard, let alone Dragnet standard, but it's of historical significance. And if you like this style, then yes, it stands the test of time, but I I still think that 
Dragnet in general, no matter what, is an, a, a taste you either like or don't like, or an acquired taste in my case. All that being said, the four minutes of catching the werewolf is an absolute classic four minutes <laughs> of old-time radio, because that was super fun. So, it's interesting to think that in some alternate timeline, Dragnet went a different direction, became much more of a conventional crime story yeah. that was really good and really well done, and that we'd be looking back on this early episode and, and noting like, well, it had some of these little minute details and reality things that fell by the wayside, but they're interesting <laughs> to, that there's a whole other series that was really good in there as well that got sort of snipped off at the, at the Yep. Route. It's also a fantastic old time radio show to fall asleep to, which seems oh, like yeah. a backhanded compliment, <laughs> but I have heard yeah. the first 15 minutes of almost every episode of Dragon. <laughs> Isn't that a fact? I fell well, asleep the other night to him getting a sandwich from his mom. <laughs> so crime is just rampant in LA in your mind. Of like, No one is doing anything about this. <laughs> These guys never get caught. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Go visit ghoulishdelights.com. I'm not even saying please this time. Do it! <laughs> Go visit ghoulishdelights.com. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there. You can uh, vote on podcasts. You can leave comments. Let us know what you think. Send us messages. If you have requests of things you'd like us to listen to, we'll add it to our list. We'll get to it eventually. Uh, you can link to our social media pages. We have some delightful social media stuff. Um, uh, you can click on th- our Threadless link and buy swag. Or you can click on our link to go to Patreon. Since we're being direct, I'm just going to say, give us money. (laughs) (laughs) Go to Patreon and give us money. I don't know where this aggression is coming from. Um, Possibly that I'm a werewolf. (laughs) Final chase scene. (laughs) We all need a nap now. We're a little (laughs) hyperactive like small children. Uh, No, go to Patreon.com slash The Morals. It is a vehicle uh, through which you can give us money. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, in exchange, you will receive all sorts of fun stuff, extra podcasts, monthly happy hours. There's, I feel like there's more that we do and more that we give, but I always blank on it. Oh, you also have opportunities to view our live shows uh, through streaming if you become a Patreon member. So there's just so many reasons to, and so few not. Give us money! <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of our live shows, you can see us perform live either in person or online. Go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousholdreadylistingsociety.com to see where and when our performances are happening monthly. We do our adaptations of recreations and adaptations of old-time radio show classics and sometimes not so classic, and we do a lot of our own original work as well, performing them live on stage four people doing all the sound effects and all the voices if you'd like to see us live buy a ticket if you want to see us online buy a ticket you can do it either way again ghoulishdelights.com is where you can find that information all right what is coming up next next we have a listener request from our longtime patreon supporter and pal chip we'll be listening to hot rod accident from defense attorney until then uh, I will say that I am very disappointed again that it wasn't a werewolf. <laughs>